Uh, good evening, everyone. Joshua here. Kia ora, namaskar, and greetings. Thank you so much for joining us. So tonight I have with me Brigganat. He came on a podcast previously, and people really loved um, his perspective. And so I asked him to come back tonight, and he's going to talk about something totally different from his first podcast. So I'm really excited to hear. And he, um, so yeah, welcome, Brigganat. Thank you so much for um, sharing with us. Good evening. I'm interested to hear what you've got there. It looks like you've been doing some amazing yeah, yeah, research. Right. Yeah, I, I happened to um, be a teenager during the 1960s <laughs> when a big upheaval happened in, in music. Or, you, know, you could call it a revolution, the Velvet Revolution, the underground or, or, or the flower power. So a few people have asked about my experiences and I made a list of the kind of more obscure music of the time but then I thought well I would might as well put you know it's difficult to draw a line between what was obscure and, and what wasn't so I thought I'd just have the best songs of the 60s and the 70s and of the artists that produce um, anything they produced after that and there are one or two other additions I've made as well so that, you know that's a list that, that I've made and, and would be putting up that Josh will be putting up. But for the talk tonight, I thought I would, um, you know, think back about that period and kind of analyse a little bit about what happened um, because people that didn't live through it um, might have a very um, different impression to somebody who did. You know, people have often said to me, oh, I wish I was living in the 60s. But it was only a small portion of the population that were actually involved in it. So I have actually analysed what happened here, um, which I've not seen anybody do before. So, you know, th that was quite interesting in itself. And I thought I, I would share that with you. You know, the 60s started off with Elvis Presley in America, who didn't write any of his own songs. He it was, you know, something called Tim Pan Alley in New York, where you've got a lot of songwriters going in there. and the artists or the managers of the of the artists would go along a bit like going to a shoe shop and, and choose a few songs and if, if if their artist was able to produce them well then then they would make a record of them this started the idea of um, composing your own music and the Beatles happened to be around at that time and they kind of latched onto that because you know several of them have been playing together over in Germany, in Hamburg, and, you know, we're very used to each other's company and, and each other's playing playing techniques. Um, so they started um, composing their own music and, again, were quite successful. You know, the, the, the first hit, hit record of theirs was uh, Please, Please, Please Me, which is a very interesting song even to listen to today. Um, and they went on to produce quite a lot of albums and uh, set an example for other musicians of what could be done. And consequently, a whole load of um, people who, who had a little bit of musical talent or any musical talent would try and exploit it and, and, and have a go. And uh, other bands cropped up who were also writing their own material, one being the Kinks, for example. And 
But at the same time, there's some social comment going on um, in the music. You know, prior to this time, most of the music had been about sort of um, romantic desires or relationships. But a new kind of element was introduced um, of coming from the artists themselves. You know, for example, Manfred Mann did a song called um, Semi-Detached Suburban Mr. Jones. And that song was about the girlfriend of a musician who decided when she got married, she would marry somebody with a more secure job and rather than a musician who had an insecure kind of existence. Mm. And uh, so they got the semi-detached house in you know, suburbia. And mm. the Kinks did a few of those kind of songs. I did The Well-Respected Man, which um, had some quite cutting lyrics, you know, catching the same train every, every day and all this kind of thing. And they then also had a, a song called Shangri-La, which at this time they'd had a few hit rec number one hits records, but the Shangri-La was getting a bit too near to um, you know, addressing the issue, and it was about somebody who um, whose goal in life was to have a car, and they got their car, and they got a toilet inside the house rather than in the backyard, and that's all they had. And they had a boring job, which they <laughs> weren't really making any progress with. And that was their kind of lifestyle, you know. Okay, that that achieved their goals, their Shangri-La, but it, it, it wasn't very satisfying. But whereas their other kink songs have been you know, played quite regularly on the radio, that, that one didn't get a lot of airtime. It, it <laughs> consequently didn't, um, didn't um, make a lot of success. And then... Um, on the topic of Jones, you know, semi-touched Mr. Jones, there was David Bowie, whose real name was David Jones. And um, he wrote um, Space Oddity. And then, you know, later on when he wrote his song Ashes to Ashes, after the end of the song, it ends up with him saying, my mother said to get things done, don't, don't you mess with Major Tom. You know, my mother said to get things done, don't you mess with Major Tom. Um, which Major Tom was the subject of that first record. So he obviously had um, devoted a lot of time and commitment to, you know, making that record and, and making a go of things. But his mother felt he'd be better on a secure job. And then you've got dire straits, you know, when they go to the members of the band, you know, they mention one of them, he's all right, he's, he's working, you know, got a full-time job and he just plays on on Friday nights. So he's got the security, whereas, whereas the others perhaps hadn't. Mm. Um, so, the, you know, the Flower Power then started, no, no, sorry, the Beatles had a song called Little Piggies about people working in, offices and um, sort of humdrum jobs. And a, a lot of um, their fan base or some of their fan base were these very people. <laughs> and, and there was a, a bit of a kind of backlash against that, that song. Um, but anyway, then we moved to the Flower Power, you know, that started with Scott McKenzie 
you know, if you're going to San Francisco, you know, be sure to wear a flower in your hair. And I wondered, you know, where the idea of flower power came from. And, you know, perhaps it's associated with, you know, where have all the flowers gone, which was a, mm. a protest song by Joan Byers. Yeah. And, you know, the lyric was that all the flowers had gone to make wreaths for the soldiers that died in the war. Um, so yeah. there was that kind of anti-war um, sentiment around, which at the time, which um, mm. Country Joe and the Fish at um, Woodstock, you know, anti-Vietnam, his, his song. And then there was Buffy St. Marie, who mm. did The Soldier Blue. And uh, yeah, the Pink Floyd, they also did a couple of... Um, anti-war songs on the second album they had a track called corporal Clegg hmm. um had a wooden leg he won it in the war you know very, very sort of cynical and then the us and them you know there's a, a line you know forward he cried from the rear and that's hmm. what used to happen it's certainly in the first world war you know you'd get an officer shouting for everybody to advance and the officer himself would, wouldn't actually go with them. And, yeah. and um, so it wasn't us and them. And then Neil Young, he um, produced one song called Soldier, which is a, 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 a gem of a song, but you'll never hear that played on the radio mm -hmm. because it's, um, you know, its lyrics are, a little bit anti-establishment, very anti-establishment actually. So I think that that, that song particularly is, is worth worth a listen. And then there was the Doors, who um, they on their first album they had a a track called um, "The End," which um, was used in the film Apocalypse Now. You know, very depressing song. Um, and I met a friend, you know, travelling around some years ago who grew up with Jim Morrison and apparently he used to live on a military base. His parents were in the military and um, so perhaps that gave him a certain perspective mm. on, on life. Mm. And similarly, the band America, whose their families were um, living on the US um, Air Force Base in the UK, and um, you know you can hear that in one of their their lyrics. So you talk about um, ain't it foggy outside? All the planes have been grounded. But um, they um, they had a brilliant track called Donkey Jaw, which you know I think is one of their best songs. Mm. But you, you, I've never heard that played on the radio because. Mm. You know, its lyrics are, you know, get behind me, Satan, stop ravage, ravishing the land. Mm. So, you know, today I thought I'd check out the word ravishing because I always thought they must have mean ravaging. And to ravish means to seize and carry off by force. And ravage means to cause severe and extensive damage to. So I would think it's the ravaging. They're probably talking about Vietnam because, you know, Agent Orange there did a tremendous um, 
amounts of damage. Mm. And another theme that was running through um, the music was um, civil rights. Mm. You had you know, Bob Dylan, um, how many time, how many roads must a man walk down before he, he will be called a man? Mm. And then Neil Young um, with his uh, southern man in Alabama. Mm -hmm. And and indeed, um, and I, Ohio, you know, I, I read an interesting story about how that record came about. Um, Steve Stills visited Neil Young on a Friday and showed him a magazine of um, a demonstration where the police or the army had opened fire and killed four students. Mm -hmm. And at the time, Neil Young was halfway through writing a song which he adapted to that those circumstances. Mm. The very next day, he met up with Crosby, Stills, Crosby and Nash, and, and, and the four of them, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, got together in the recording studio, recorded it, and it was on the radio on Monday. Mm. You know, that's how quickly things can happen. Mm. And then the Doors, um, they had a song called um, Alabama Song, which was very, um, very, um, not very complimentary. And apparently the, the people down south didn't take very kindly to that. Um, and then a, another element was um, Christianity, no, spirituality. You know, the Beatles went to India and met the Maharishi. Mm. And then George Harrison um went on to do My Sweet Lord yeah. and he explored a few different spiritual paths and ended up with the Hare Krishnas and they produced a, a single on the Apple label which was owned by the Beatles called Govinda mm. which was a, a very very nice you know Indian style song but with western style instruments and Sri Prabhupada heard it you know, he was still alive at the time, and he liked it. And he said that that should be played every day. Yeah. And I, I happened to stay at the Krishna Centre in Liverpool one night when I was coming back through Liverpool, and um, anyway, I was, I was there for the one night. And at six fifteen in the morning, they played that. You know, <laughs> apparently the same time every morning <laughs> that record gets played. Yeah. And th there's um. Yeah, the Govinda. And uh, th then there's kind of um, people like John McLaughlin. He, he had mm, an album yeah. called um, Love, Devotion and Surrender and yeah, then went right. on to form the Mahai Vishnu mm. Orchestra. But Steve Hillage is also somebody that I strongly recommend. <laughs> He's um, he, he did a song called Om Namah Shivaya. Mm -hmm. And it's an electronic version, and it's really amazing. Mm. It's very you know, worth listening to that. And um, and then another kirtan that um, was around is um, one by the Native Americans. Mm. Um, Sacred Spirit did their circle song, and um, that's um, in a counterclockwise motion. Mm. And it's a you know a chant, and I don't know what the meaning of the chant is, but um, 
you know, it seemed significant that it was counterclockwise and it is sacred, you know, music. Yeah. And, and likewise, you know, when I went to the Hare Krishnas in the morning, they sing their kirtan. They sing um, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. And that they do it, they don't do it for a certain length of time, they do it for so many rounds, you know, how many times you actually mm -hmm. say the whole mantra mm -hmm. or the whole... Um, and they move around the table in anti-clockwise motion as mm. well. Yeah. That's interesting. So other, um, yeah, so, um, yeah, so, so there was that spiritual aspect. And then there was the ecology um, that came into it, you know, the, the um, Principal Edwards Magic Theatre, which is a very obscure band made up from students in Exeter University and, when they performed, they never knew how many people would be available. So sometimes there'd be 10 people there and sometimes fewer. But they had a very good song called McAlpine's Dream, which was about, you know, McAlpine's a big set of construction, building construction firm. And it was about them concreting over the, the countryside <laughs> in Wales. Right. And then, you know, Joni Mitchell also had her... Um, Big Yellow Taxi, and it talks about um, <laughs> pay paradise to make a That's parking right. lot. Yeah. yeah. And then there's a band which a lot of people aren't familiar with, Quicksilver Messenger Service, <laughs> who were later just called Quicksilver. And they had a couple of albums. Then they had Dino Valenti join them, who had a, a phenomenal voice. And in the echo chamber, it's so expressive, I've not heard anything like it. Wow. And I'd thoroughly recommend you listen to some of his stuff. It's listed down there. Um, Just for Love is a particularly good song. But he did a lot of um, ecological things. You know, one song, Fresh Air. Mm. Um, it's about getting high on sunshine and fresh air. <laughs> which I can relate to, you know, that, that that's having eating clean food and breathing clean air and um, leading a clean lifestyle. You know, you, you're in most in control of your body. You know, that that's you know the best that your mind can be, really. And then it, on their next album, Quicksilver, they it was called What About Me, and the title track, um, it's called What About Me. And it starts off, um, they poison my sweet water, they chop down my green trees, the food they feed, fed my children was the cause of their disease. And mm. he goes on to say that uh, he's a fugitive from injustice, you know, trying to be free. And the rules and regulations don't mean a thing to me, you know. Um, and at the end of that song, after the song, you know, the music finishes or the music just trailing off, he says, I'm not looking for no trouble now. I'm not looking for no trouble. <laughs> <laughs> and then on the next album, there's a track called The California um, Correction Centre. <laughs> so it seems that he, he might have spent a bit of time there or someone spent a bit of time there. And I think that was probably because, you know, he also used to take a, a bit of drugs, as, as did many people in, in that time. So 
again, you know, recreational drugs was uh, a major component of the music. And you had Bob Dylan, everybody's got to get stoned. The move, I can hear the grass grow. And then the Beatles, of course, a day in the life. Um, um, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, which some people associate with LSD, but I don't think that's necessarily what they were singing about. And then Strawberry Fields Forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and uh, another component was um, space exploration. At this time, the Americans were putting a man on the moon, you know, mm-hmm. um, or were certainly sending up rockets to the moon in, in 67 and uh, landed a man, I think, 1969. So you had, um, you know, Dave Bowie's. Space Oddity, and then he yeah. went on to do Ziggy Stardust. Mm-hmm. And then the Pink Floyd were um, on their first album. <clears throat> they had Astronomy Domine, an interstellar overdrive, <clears throat> which, you know, extraordinary titles in themselves, but um, Astronomy Domine was a completely different song structure. You know, it's mm. something like it, there's complete, you know, experiment with how you could write a song mm. <laughs> um you know prior to perhaps them writing that you know most songs were things that could be played in a dance hall and people could dance to yeah but that certainly wasn't mm. um and in fact when the pink floyd used to play they would have a light show there and um you know the light show there were a few big light shows or famous light shows in London and they would get advertised along with the artist. You know, it was mm-hmm. something mm. uh, 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 something special that you'd go along to see. And it would be kind of kaleidoscope oil on the screen. There'd be some kind of kaleidoscope effect going on and different colours, mm. you know, changing. And the Floyd would have that going on throughout the whole performance, mm-hmm. sometimes, not every time, but sometimes. Mm. Um, so, it, and there's a few people doing free expression dancing, you know, sort of on their own. Um, you know, similarly, uh, another band that um, were doing exploratory music was Tangerine Dream, mm-hmm. who at the time were another mm-hmm. psychedelic band. Mm-hmm. You know, they were three guys from America, from Germany, who were particularly um, proficient with um, electronics, and um, they all had three three guys on synthesizers, mm. and they seemed to know what they were doing, and, and they produced some amazing material. It's very spacey material, mm. you know. Mm. Some of it was, mm. and um, the fact that. Whether they could produce the same thing again at a live performance, I don't know, because you've got three people playing around with, you know, some equipment and you know, getting different effects from it. But it also meant that they'd have a few riffs which would maybe make up a album side with other things going on as well. But they, their output was tremendous. You know, they mm. could produce a lot of albums, whereas yeah. a, a normal musician has got to write not just the... Um, the music, but the lyrics to a song, and it might take them some while to, you know, produce twelve songs that are worth listening to, 
um, they could produce something in, in a matter of months. Mm. Mm. And uh, they were, very, uh, you know, I never got to see them, but they were a band I do regret not going to see. Um, other bands similarly, there was Tonto's expanding headband in America, doing, you know, working on a synthesizer. Um, and some of their songs, they got the synthesizer just singing, but um, uh, yeah, they they didn't produce so much material as a Tangerine Dream, and I don't think it's such high quality. Mm. And then there was Jean-Pierre Jean. Mm -hmm. He was also another synthesizer player, and he did Oxygen, you know, became quite famous. And then there's Van Gillis, who was a a Greek um, musician on the synthesizer. And, you know, I did quite like what I've heard of his, so I actually listened to a bit more of his, his music. And it's very pleasing to the ear, mm-hmm. whereas the Jean-Pierre Jarre is not is not what I call pleasing music. It's it's not it's not my scene, put it that way. Yeah. Um, whereas um, Van Gelis has got you know perhaps a positive or nice vibe to his music, and and, and in addition to his synthesizer, there's also other new electronic instruments like the Mellotron, mm. which um, King Crimson used to play. Mm, yeah. And then the Wah Wah pedal, which came out, which um, Eric Clapton used on um, Songs of Great Brave Ulysses, which you know, I think that was the Creed's best song. Um, and, and that Wah Wah played a big part in that. And it, as it did, it did with, Jimi Hendrix's All Along the Watchtower. Yeah. Um, so to sum up, um, there were those different themes going on, but there was this kind of idea that music could bring about a velvet revolution, mm. you know, a bloodless revolution, that it was a consciousness-raising agent mm. which could... Um, affect the people in such a way that they would, individuals would change and society would change. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the, uh, one of the things about their lifestyle was it was, you know, living more simply, you know, rather than having all the flashy gadgets, it was people having more time to themselves mm. and, and doing work, which they, felt was rewarding and worthwhile mm. um so um there was um yeah the, the, the at, at uh, woodstock um a song by crosby stills and nash you know it's been a long time coming it's going to be a long time gone you know that was about this sudden um enlightenment you know awakening that things could be different um, and when he talks about a long time coming, you know, he might have been going back to Plato because in Plato's Republic, he talks about a conversation that, um, so the guy called um, the famous um, Socrates had about cities, hmm. and um, he was talking to someone who advocated cities, and Socrates said, Well, 
you know, people in cities, they ought to be vegetarian and have a simple lifestyle, whereas the other person said, no, 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 no. They ought to be having feasts and a uh, very extravagant lifestyle. And Socrates made the point that um, were they to have that extravagant lifestyle, they couldn't do it on their own national land. I'd have to start infringing into neighbours' land and exploiting neighbours' you know, labour a couple of thousand years later about countries being colonised and um, people being enslaved and um, just for this more extravagant lifestyle. Interesting. And he kind of, you know, do we need it? You know, that's a, that was a question. Mm. So I think it would be generally agreed that um, the revolution that some people were expecting didn't happen. But um, there's, there's an Indian um, spiritual teacher called Sri Sri Anandamurti who's produced 5,018 5, songs, very spiritual songs, um, which uh, a lot of them are now available on YouTube, and that is creating quite an effect over in India. And... Um, mm -hmm. It makes made me wonder whether you know people in the West assume that the revolution's got to happen there, mm -hmm. um, very geocentric, um, like Marx. You know, he imagined that his communism revolution would happen in the UK because Britain had the most advanced capitalist you know economy, but it didn't happen in Russia and China. Mm -hmm. So, um, also you know the idea that um, Western nations like, you know, Europe and America who created the problem are going to be able to solve it is also perhaps being a bit naive. You know, a, a lot of science and a lot of, um, a lot of aspects of life, you know, have been led down a cul-de-sac, you know, for, ex for exploitative reasons. Um, so, you know, in, in, in the historic past, you know, whereas Europe has been um, a nation which um, was very interested in wars and fighting, um, India and China were more interested in mental development. Um, mm -hmm. So they had a different um, idea of um, utopia. Yeah. Um, so although the music revolution didn't happen in the 60s you know it's not too late <laughs> it could happen yet thank you Raghunath talks about Parvat Sangeet a collection of over 5,000 songs written by Sri Sri Piyasaka and one of the songs, uh, this one I'm going to sing is Tiny Green Island. I'm going to sing it because it's one of Brigonat's favourites. And it's one of the very few in English. I love this tiny green island, surrounded by the sea. I love 